This is the Pretty Deadly Self-Defense Podcast. I'm Susie Collick, the founder of Pretty Deadly Self-Defense. And I'm Kate Lismer, a writer, traveler, mother, and expat. As a woman who lives in a big city and likes to travel, I'm very curious about self-defense. I've never had any training, so I have a lot of questions. And I have a lot of answers. We figured you probably have similar questions too. And so we thought it'd be a great idea to share this conversation and put it in a podcast. So welcome to the Pretty Deadly Self-Defense Podcast. In the days after your attack, when you realized how much trauma you had endured and you were looking for ways of healing, how did you get from those early days and those moments of trauma into a martial arts? The other thing I thought about was how my body responded. The fact that I couldn't make decisions about a target to hit or a defense move to make or you know, anything about, just my body just moved because that's how our self-defense systems actually work. It just reacted. And I thought if I can't control the movements, if I can't control the decisions or if I can't make decisions, um, then I want to train my body to make every single move it makes naturally as devastating as possible. Because I, if this ever happens again, I'm not going to be the only one going down. To me, that was, that was like, okay, well, how do, where do you do that? Martial arts is, is how we usually think of martial arts anyway. I had moved to the San Fernando Valley because I couldn't live in uh, Hollywood anymore. I, didn't, I felt like I needed a mountain between me and, and my old apartment. Um, and basically, I just drove up and down Ventura Boulevard until I found a studio that looked appealing to me. I walked into Studio City Martial Arts and um, and met Chadwick right away. And he was, as I said earlier, he had already had experience with women who had experienced violence. Um, he didn't pry, but he understood that I was coming from a pretty immediate situation. I started only two months after I was attacked, um, or six weeks about. Um. And he invited me to watch a class, just to observe. I observed two classes, actually. At that time, there was also a Jeet Kune Do um, class that was happening there, led by a guy named um, Ed Monahan from the Akata Training Center, who are also really brilliant people. But Ed was giving a class that day to two women, and their movements were too similar to what I had just experienced. And I was like, no, I can't. I can't do that. So I came back in the evening um, to watch an ninjutsu class, and and I learned something just by watching. You know, at that time as well, there was a one of the instructors, um, Brian Simmons, was leading the class, and he was teaching some white belts or some yellow belts uh, through a series of movements. Um, it was a com- I can't remember what it was now, but it was a combination, and he somebody was like kind of doing it as like, you know, one, two, three, one, two, three, as though these three things always went together. And he stopped them and he said, no, it's not one, two, three. It's one and one and one. Because you don't know if that first move is going to be enough. And I thought, wow, here I am just watching something. And I learned what to me felt like a very profound lesson at the time. And, And I still have that written in my original notebook. So that's, I was sold. I was like, yeah. that's it. This is the one for me. I'm exactly. here. Exactly. Unless you were, yeah. pra- that's very practical. Yeah. So how long, 
how long did you train? Um, in years, I was at that school for eight years. Um, in hours, I couldn't really tell you. <laughs> I trained. Your ears is fine. I, I was there. I was training about five days a week. Did you know, at what point did you know that you wanted to pursue a black belt? Mm, uh, it's not so much that I wanted to pursue a black belt. It's because we were also, it was really driven into us that the color of the belt isn't as important as the quality of the training. Um, I just knew that I wanted to continue on this path and I wanted to see how far I could go with it. Um, I think it was probably after the first year I realized I probably wasn't going anywhere mm-hmm. and I wanted to continue exploring. Um, probably after, I don't know, two or three years, that's when I made a commitment to myself to pursue an instructor's belt. Um, there were no female instructors at that time. It, it, the testing wasn't easy and advancing wasn't easy at all. There, there were really difficult tests and really demanding. Um, no woman had passed the instructor's test. And it wasn't a matter of me wanting to be the first because I'm not that kind of per. I'm not the kind of person who wants to be the first to do anything. Um, for me, it was a matter of giving something back to my teacher. He gave me so much, so much in helping me um, feel strong again and learn to trust myself um, and be able to move forward with my life. This was the only way I could figure out to thank him was, was by really dedicating myself to becoming finally a female instructor because he had been waiting he just he really wanted to have a female instructor among the male instructors that he already had so I asked Chad if I could have a woman's only if I could lead a woman's only class and I asked the women to join me um I asked them to wear their regular clothes not their uniforms um and I asked them to basically go full power with each other as well as with me and to show that it's okay that you could receive that full power and you could give it and it would be all right. But I really wanted to divorce the idea of this. These techniques are only for the dojo and they're not for the outside world. Mm. I wanted to make sure that that crossed over because they are for both and they're helpful for both. At the time in Los Angeles and I was living in the Valley. um, There weren't like a huge amount of, Options. There were some karate schools and some judo and maybe some jiu-jitsu schools. I don't know. But ninjutsu, um, when I checked that one out, made the most sense to me because there's no competition, because there's no tournaments. So it wasn't about precision, um, and it wasn't about precision of form or precision of targets. It was about learning to move according to your own body type Um and learning to, how would I say, I guess kind of like orienting yourself to yourself. So it wasn't so much about um, the result, although you never know that when you're a white belt walking in, but it wasn't so much about the result. It was more about um, moving effectively through the world, right? Ninjutsu is quite brutal. Um, So when I say moving effectively in the same sentence as ninjutsu, that sounds a little like 
assassin-like, but that's not what I mean. What I mean is um, learning how to use your own body the most effectively. And so do you think this form lends itself particularly to everyday self-defense? I do, yeah. I mean, I think a lot of martial artists will say that about their own form of martial art because when you stay in one form for a long time, you you have such a personal relationship with it. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm obviously very biased. But I do find that it's very useful because we we focus on everything. You know, there's punches and strikes and kicks and takedowns and throws and locks. There's groundwork as well as standing on your feet work. Um, there's a lot of escapes are incorporated as well, which is very important, I think, for self-defense. And just because of the way that it it develops inside your own body this idea of um focusing less on the result that you get from a technique and more on your commitment to doing the technique which sounds a bit esoteric but as you train you realize it's it's like it doesn't matter if you hit a target it matters that um you're fully committed to that kick okay i was going to say what are some really tan okay because not everyone's going to go get a black belt right and even Mm -hmm. if someone has been through a trauma they might see this as a kind of opportunity to maybe heal or at least prepare themselves like you said for the next time Mm -hmm. what are some really basic things that someone can take away from this kind of training without going to that level of black belt perhaps like you mentioned you know specific skills that relate to commitment, self-assurance, things like that, um, possibly even emotional well-being in a sense that you you feel prepared for something like this. But if you were talking to someone who's never been to a self-defense course or a martial arts course, what would you say to them about what they can take away even from a minimal level of knowledge? I would say that the the I think one of the first things that you learn or one of the first things that I've learned was learning how to trust myself. That even though I might I might do a technique that doesn't look like the way my teacher does it, it works for my body, and I can trust that it will come out. So one of the biggest, and that's one of the things that I try to share with people, is self-trust, that you're really not betraying yourself. Ninjutsu incorporates a lot of um, psychology as well in the training, and that has been really useful to me and I think it's really useful to a lot of practitioners and I think it's useful in self-defense because you learn how people's perception works and you also learn how um, people tend to we all do this we all fall into rhythms and we expect certain responses and how by not providing the expected response that can be an advantage to you especially when you don't have the advantage of size or strength. Pretty Deadly Self-Defense is a self-defense program created by a 20-year martial arts veteran and violent crime survivor, Susie Collin, based in Berlin, Germany. You can learn more about Susie and the Pretty Deadly Self-Defense program at prettydeadlyselfdefense.com. <laughs>